Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel overchurched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. I'm Hannah, and I'm the site pastor at Wicker Park, one of the other sites of Urban Village Church. If this is your first time here, or sometimes even if you've been here for years, you might not know that we're a church that lives in many places, um, at least five right now on Sundays, and in between the week, we live everywhere that you live, and everywhere that you work, and everywhere that you are, Um, and for this we are grateful. I'm about to ask you to pray with me before this sermon I'm going to give, but... One thing I just wanted to share about that being everywhere, some of you might have noticed that my hair is pink, um, I, or ish at this point, honestly, right? I dyed it a couple weeks ago. One of the reasons that my hair is that color is that um, each summer we have an auction at Urban Village Church. Anybody donate anything to the auction, buy anything from our online auction? Yeah, it's so fun. Um, and I decided to go full youth pastor for the auction, and I said, highest bidder gets to choose what color I dye my hair, right? I was like, I'm just going to go for it. Let's see what works. Um, and for those of you who don't know my story, I grew up non-religious. Um, my dad grew up Lutheran, my mom grew up Catholic, and they had both been burned by the churches they grew up in in various painful ways. Um, And by the time us kids were born, they were done. They were out. (laughs) And so we weren't raised with any particular religious instruction. Um, And I found Jesus, and thank God, an inclusive, loving vision of Jesus later in life. And, you know, brought me so far that I became a pastor. But most of my friends and most of my family still aren't church-connected, right? Or, frankly, are church-skeptical, (laughs) church-suspicious. They say, you're the only Christian I know that I like, right? And then I have to say, I promise you, there are thousands 
thousands more <laughs> that you could abide. Um, and a bunch of those friends, a bunch of my friends who aren't religious, have that yearning, are these wonderful people, would love community, but don't trust a lot of what religious institutions have been in their life, saw that I had this bid out there. And so they pooled their money and bought it together. And they gave it to my four-year-old daughter as a present. <laughs> and as soon as she was told, she said, pink! <laughs> and so I dyed my hair pink. But what I love about that is that um, they felt like this was a place that they could contribute to. You know what I mean? <laughs> they, they wanted to troll me a little bit. But also, many of them are so moved every single time I tell a story about what Urban Village is and what Urban Village has done. I've had a couple of friends who say to me, when I go through my spiritual crisis in my 40s, yours is the one church I can imagine maybe going to when that happens. Because of me, they have someone to call. They call me High Priestess Hannah. Um, when they are confused about how the world can be so bad and how the world can be so hard. And because of the stories that I've told them about you and who you have been and what we value in this community, that door has been opened in their soul, that there might be some place they can trust, some place that talks about God in a way that they can understand, some place that lives out community in a way that wouldn't hurt them. And so I thank you for being you, not just for one another, but for, I think, the thousands outside of this church for whom a different story is being told about what God might mean and the way that you change the world by doing that. Because it matters a lot <laughs> to my friends, to my family, to my community. Um, and it just wouldn't happen without you. So thank you. And will you pray with me? God of grace, mercy, and power. God of surprises. God who we do not always understand. God who came to earth and had a body and a time and a place just like us, who struggled and who gave blessings. We ask that you would be with us here and now in this moment. God, help us in our bodies, in our souls, in the words of our mouths, in the meditations of our hearts to be acceptable unto you, to say what you might say, to do what you might do, to be your hands and your feet. And if we don't, God, <laughs> if we go the wrong way, if we hurt one another, if we hurt ourselves, if we go away from you, help us to do what repent means, which is to turn around and to take the second and the tenth and the seventy-seventh chance that you are always offering to move towards love and towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessed are you who are queer, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are immigrants, for papers and borders will not and are not real and will not dictate our lives. Blessed are you who are black, for you are beautiful and powerful, and in the kingdom your lives will matter to the system as well as to one another. Blessed are you who are seasonally depressed, for the sun will shine on your sorrows. Blessed are you who have been hurt by the world, for in the kingdom there are no tears, and Jesus Jesus' kingdom has already been announced. Blessed are you who are indebted to the hospitals, to the schools, to the credit cards, or to anything, for there is enough and more than enough to cover your debts in this world. Blessed are you who are poor, 
for God is with you and Jesus has joined you in poverty. Blessed. Blessed are we all. This, this is what we have to remember. This is what it would have felt like to be sitting on that mountain when Jesus gave his blessings so long ago to his disciples who were close to him, who loved him, who were his friends, but also to the crowds who gathered wherever he went to hear what this rebel-rousing radical man had to say. This is what it would have felt like. I love the word beatitudes because it like has the word attitudes in it, right? And so you can be like, I'm going to have the attitude of beatitudes. And it, it sounds um, classy and churchy in a way that as an unchurched person actually kind of appeals to me. But I think one of the things that the word beatitudes has done when we use it to describe this scripture that we just read is that we lose what they were, which were blessings, not blessing predictions, not blessings for the future, but blessings for now. That Jesus got up on a mountain and said every single group that the world has called bad, that you in your life are experiencing, are being underserved by, are being hurt by, everyone, every marginalized community, I bless you now. You're mine, I love you. They were blessings with power and they were blessings that he gave in public, right? They were blessings where he was saying, everything you think about the world and how it works, every ladder of hierarchy you've been taught to value, every powerful thing that has made itself known in your life, the kingdom is the upside down, <laughs> right? Every way that you have been taught to expect things to go, baby, I'm going to surprise you <laughs> because it is not how I am and it is not how life is and it is not how heaven is and I'm here to tell you. We've lost the shock of it a little bit because we're so used to these beautiful words that we've heard a thousand times, we kind of think of them as belonging then or belonging to the ethereal, right? Ah, oh, the poor in spirit, those who have not prayed enough, Jesus will reach out to them too, right? Blessed are the poor. <laughs> blessed are the poor now, blessed are the poor then, blessed are the poor to come. Jesus says, you poor, you are my people. The rich will come too, but they will come through the head of needles and it will be hard and I love them and I know what's up with the world. <laughs> and I know it's hard and I'm here for it right? I see what's happening. I see you and I bless you. This is what Jesus is saying to us. Something radical, something shocking, something loving, something that sees each one of us in who we are, right? If you are not one of the lines of these eight or nine blessings, there is still a blessing for you and there is kind of a warning for you and for all of us that things are going to be different than we think, that who Jesus is, is always just a little skewed from what we want to assume. And, and one of the most beautiful evocations of that for me, one of the most beautiful painters of that image in our modern times is Gloria Anzaldúa. Does anybody know the work of Gloria Anzaldúa? So this is lesbian, Chicana, poet, feminist, a scholar. Um, she did artistic work, she did scholarly work, she wrote articles, she wrote books, her most famous uh, called To the Borderlands, about the Borderlands. Um, 
and there's this poem that she wrote called To Live in the Borderlands. And she talked a lot about seeing the world, right? Naming our experiences as layers and layers and layers of experiencing a center that the world told us we had to admire or had to become, and then borderlands pushed out from that center, out in the margins, where all of the juicy stuff was happening, right? But also borderlands are, she names, hard places to live. Any time that the world has created a center, whether it's like the mean girls in middle school or like the capital T, capital M man who decides how all the money's gonna go, you know, whatever, like that, that any time there's a center that the world pushes towards, this will be the decision, this will be how things are, you must conform yourself to this norm. Um, there's a borders that both puts a lie to the idea that we can all be one thing that we could all ever become one kind of person, one kind of model. Thank God we're so different. Thank God we can't. And that harms people by pushing them out from the center where the resources usually are, right? Where the decision-making power usually is, or the clothes and the money and the food are. And so she particularly talks about this center and borderlands um, of being an immigrant. But she also applies it to all kinds of areas of our life, um, of being queer, of being a woman, of being a weirdo, right? Any time where the power has gone towards one thing and everybody else kind of gets pushed, that's a center and borderlands time. That's a center and borderlands moment. And so I want you to think about in your life, do you have any of those places? Places in your life where you can really feel yourself at the center. I have some of those, right? Ways in which the world makes itself easy for me. Ways in which the world conforms itself to my needs, to my experiences, to my assumptions, to my language. And then places where I really feel at the border. <laughs> places where every movie and every newspaper article is speaking a language that I don't understand. <laughs> places where where the power goes feels like it's the opposite of me. Where where the attention goes feels like it will never reach the parts of me that matter. I think most of us have both. Some of us um, are lucky or unlucky enough, depending on how it works itself out, to be mostly center or mostly borders. But most of us have places where we can emotionally feel both of those spots inside of our souls, both of those stretchings, just like the people Jesus loved, right? Just like the people he talked to on that mountain. And she wrote this poem about it. I'm not going to read you the whole thing, although we're going to put it on the Facebook page. I would really recommend that you read the whole thing at some point. It's incredibly beautiful. To live in the borderlands. Um, and it's a multilingual poem, lots of English and Spanish throughout. To live in the borderlands means, oh, no, I'm actually going to start earlier than that. People walk through you. The wind steals your voice. You're a burra, scapegoat, forerunner of a new race. Half and half, both woman and man, neither, a new gender. To live in the borderlands means to put chile in the borscht, eat whole wheat tortillas, speak Tex-Mex with a Brooklyn accent, be stopped by La Migra at the border checkpoints. Living in the borderlands means you fight hard to resist the gold elixir beckoning from the bottle, the pull of the gun barrel, the rope crushing the hollow of your throat. In the borderlands, you are the battleground, where enemies are kin to each other. You are at home a stranger, 
at home a stranger. The border disputes have been settled. The volley of shots have scattered the truce. You are wounded, lost in action, dead, fighting back. To live in the borderlands means the mill with the razor white teeth wants to shred off your olive red skin. Crush out the kernel, your heart. Pound you, pinch you, roll you out, smelling like white bread but dead. To survive the borderlands, you must live sin fronteras, be a crossroads. You must live without borders, be a crossroads. So I think what she's saying about being center, about being borderlands, is akin to what Jesus is commanding us to know about who we are in Christ, which is people who resist that power structure altogether that way of thinking about humanity, that way of thinking about people. And that's why we're reading this scripture and reading this poem for our anti-racism sermon series, Courageous Conversations, Collective Liberation. Because if we're going to be Christian, if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to take seriously some of the stuff that he says that makes us feel weird and wonky and uncomfortable (laughs) and that forces us to live in a different way in the world. And we're also going to want to take to heart in those borderlands places of us, the promise he gives us that no matter how exposed and outside we feel sometimes, Jesus is there in the places that have been called powerless of us, in the places that have been called less of us, and he is saying, I see it, I love it, this is power and this is mine, and this is what the kingdom will look like. One of the temptations I want to talk about as we live out this journey as people and as followers of Jesus is what she says, um, and I am not a poet, I'm quite prosaic, so if I've misinterpreted her, I would love the Anzaldúa scholars to approach me afterwards and correct me. Um, But what I heard, living in the borderlands means you fight hard to resist the gold elixir beckoning from the bottle, right? There's something about alcoholism here, um, but there's also something to me about resisting that the way we solve this center borderlands power crisis is by bringing everyone from the borders into the center, right? Because that's a temptation, right? She says at the end, to live in the borderlands means the mill with the razor white teeth wants to shred off your olive red skin, crush out the kernel your heart, pound you, pinch you, roll you out, smelling like white bread but dead. If the way we thought about taking apart these deadly power structures was by taking everyone in the borders and putting them in the center, that's a way of taking away all of our things that make us beautiful and unique, all of the extraordinary Jesus things that we found on the borders. That's what we call not power sharing, but assimilation. If the way that we think about it is that borders become the center, right? It's that queer means nothing more than I enter into a heterosexist relationship, but with a person who is slightly different, right? I don't get to think at all about what this gift of queerness has been to me, right? That what black power means is the same white system, but a slightly different looking set of people on top, rather than the system itself being torn apart. I don't know who it is for you, but I I sometimes think about these people representing my own community, um, and I get it, right? All people are God's people, and it is a hard world, and I get why we all come with what we come with. But I sometimes think about a, a certain kind of white feminism 
that seeks not to share power, but to break open the glass ceiling just for us, <laughs> right? That seeks to make power available so that we might now be the center, rather than that there would be no more center and no more borders. And I think kind of every group has a version of this. You can kind of imagine your own. <laughs> imagine the one that I will, I will not name for your community who it is. But I call it, what if white supremacist patriarchy but for me, <laughs> right? <laughs> what if? <laughs> and, and just everybody has a version of it, right? Everybody has a version of it, not because they're evil and not because they're terrible, but because the world is really hard. <laughs> and so we look at this really hard world and we think, change it all together, that seems impossible. What if just a little bit of that, but for me, <laughs> but for my crew? <laughs> and what Jesus is saying to us is, you are thinking too small. <laughs> I have told you that there is a resurrection of the dead. You do not have to scramble for a little bit of power at the middle. I have told you that the kingdom is here. I have proclaimed it. You do not have to settle for yes, this, but a slight reversal of who's where. I have said that I love you, all of you, that power is yours, all of yours, that there is a different way to be alive and a different way to give blessings. What if instead of trying to move a few from the borders to the center, we said, what about no center at all? Let's all go to the borders where Jesus is hanging out and find our own places of uniqueness, juicy creativity, resilience in the face of hardship, and become a whole new kind of community where things don't all have to go to one place. What if we believed Jesus when he said, blessed are the people who have been kicked out. Blessed are the people who have been persecuted. Blessed are the hardships you have. And when we all go out there, when we all adopt them, when we all walk into the wilderness, move into the unknown places, embrace the ambiguities of the borderlands, it is then that we might find something more extraordinary than we have ever imagined, a way to truly be one community in which we have different experiences where Jesus allows us to love and to share in ways that we cannot imagine but know to be true because guess what? God promised it. God has promised us that the kingdom of heaven, we will share one table. God has promised us that in the kingdom of heaven, there will be no tears. God has promised us that in the kingdom of heaven, there will be no injustice. And so if that has been proclaimed already, if we have seen a glimpse of it anywhere, anytime, for even just a second, if you have seen a glimpse of what it might mean to live in truth and justice with forgiveness and mercy and love, you can hold in your heart that it is possible for that to be the whole thing. And you can say to yourself, I will no longer expect something so small as to scrabble and carve out my own place in the center. I expect bigger, I am a child of God. I expect bigger, I believe what Jesus has said. I expect bigger, Christ has given me a blessing and we can live in a world that is inside out from this one, where everyone has a place, where everyone is beloved, where everyone learns something new from the borderlands place of somebody else, and we are all on the borders, 
figuring out something in Jesus that we will never figure out if we're just trying to race towards the center. Blessed are we for the kingdom has been proclaimed. Let's try to live like that's true. Amen? Amen. 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 We're <laughs> Thank you.